you have your Bibles, let's go back to the book of 1 Samuel, to the 1 Samuel chapter 26. If you're just joining this this weekend, yesterday we tried to look at um, the life of David. I want to continue um, in that way this morning. We looked in the beginning of how that Israel needed a king because she had a bad king because she was rebellious and had rejected God's authority. And so God told Samuel the prophet, he said, I, have, I will provide me a king. And he did provide a king. He found a man after his own heart named David. And we noticed how that David is a picture, a type of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that rejection against God's authority was not just Israel's problem, Israel of old, but it's the human problem, and that God in his mercy and his grace has provided a king for his people in the name of Jesus. He's the king who sits upon the throne of David, not a physical kingdom with geographical boundaries and marked by ethnic lines, but a a rule and a reign of grace and salvation in the hearts of men and women, and that Christ will reign forever, praise be to his name. So there's so many beautiful pictures and types of Jesus that we see in the life of David. But this morning, I want us to look at just the man David, because he was a real man. And as we noted yesterday, that David had some wonderful moments and David had some terrible moments, but God was faithful. And so this morning, my aim is to learn from some of David's best moments and learn from some of his worst moments in all of that, that we might see our weakness and see our need to continually lean upon our Lord and that the deep mercy and faithfulness of God would be highlighted um, this morning because we need that. Look in 1 Samuel 26. So we fast forwarded from yesterday morning to, yet to last night of David, the anointed young son of Jesse, was now a, a hunted man that Saul was jealous of David and he was fearful that David would take his spot even though David never was a threat to Saul, never tried to overthrow Saul's rule and over his, in his kingdom. But Saul was chasing after David all over the country, trying to kill him, and God delivered David again and again. So first this morning we note one of the great high moments of David's faithfulness. Look in, in verse 7 of 1 Samuel chapter 26. It says, and this is when Saul and his men are hunting David, and David has an opportunity to kill his enemy and rid himself of this great problem. In verse 7, So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster, but Abner and the people lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Therefore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go." This is a high point in David's character. Just think about this moment. David is looking at the man who's lying on the ground asleep, who is making his life miserable. He's looking at Saul. He's, it says later that the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon all the men. So Saul is asleep. All of his bodyguards are asleep. And Abishai is saying, David, it won't take me two blows. I'll get him for you in one blow. And that's all it will take. 
Think about the temptation that David had to take vengeance into his own hands. Think about what he might have thought. You know what? If I, you know, it's, it's in God's providence, right? He's right here. They're all asleep. It won't be me doing it. It'll be my, my bodyguard doing it. Think about what David must have thought. Remember the pressure that he's facing every day, Saul seeking his life. He's hiding out in caves. Life is not pleasant. Life is not comfortable for David. So he may be thinking, you know what? If we go ahead and take care of Saul tonight, in a week I might be sleeping in the palace instead of a cave. I could take a bath. I could get some clean clothes. I wouldn't have to be, I would actually have a comfortable bed to sleep in. Uh, I, won't, I won't be waking up in the middle of the night saying, what, did I hear something? Did I hear something? This constant threat of my life in danger. If, if we just do this now, and by the way, Saul deserves it. And if you're honest, if you're really honest, okay, this morning, you read this passage, you're like, yeah, David, get him. <laughs> Barthas was really like to read and say, yes, Saul got what was coming to him. David's delivered. But brothers and sisters, David was faithful to God here, even when it meant that his life would continue to be uncomfortable. That's a test, isn't it? It's a test. David was faithful to God, even when his faithfulness to God would mean that his discomfort would continue. Because David was pretty sure, he knew Saul's track record, if I don't kill Saul, I'm probably going to stay in the same situation. I was talking to someone recently, they're telling me about early in their life, they were, uh, they had their own business, life was difficult, they were barely making it. This guy was, was, was trying to provide for his family, and he said, I told my father-in-law, I, said, I, just, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be comfortable. And his father-in-law said, well, maybe God doesn't want you to be comfortable right now. <laughs> Faithfulness to God even when it means discomfort. So David had respect for God's authority. Saul wasn't a respectable person, but he was in a position of authority that God had given him. And so David said, I will not uh, stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. David trusted the Lord instead of taking personal revenge. And that took faith. That took faith. Look at what David said. He said uh, he's trusting the the, the righteousness of God. God will take care of this, but he's also trusting the timing of God. So David says in verse 10, As the Lord lives, the Lord will will kill him. Either the Lord's going to directly send a lightning bolt from heaven and kill Saul, or um, his day shall come to die. He'll get old, he'll get sick, he'll die. Or he'll descend into battle and he'll perish. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm going to trust that God will take care of this situation. It may mean more discomfort for me, but I will trust the faithfulness of God. Let me ask you a question, even in seeing David last night and all the pressure that he was facing. Here's a question for us. Is your God big enough? Is your God sufficient enough? Is your God wise enough? Is your God faithful enough to be trusted and obeyed even when it means more discomfort? See, David didn't just have a head theology, did he? But his, his, his view of God prompted him to put his faith to action and say, my God is sufficient enough for this, even if I have to keep living in a cave. My God is wise enough to take care of my enemy. He will take vengeance in his time and his way. Vengeance is mine. I will keep trusting God. And you know, there's different seasons of trust for us. We need to know that. There's different ways and different, as, as Isaac was mentioning, different ways that God calls us to trust him. So David's faith in, in 1 Samuel 17 is a little different uh, application of his faith in 1 Samuel 26. What happens in, in 1 Samuel 17? Well, he's going after Goliath. David's saying, the battle is the Lord's. I'm going to go slay the giant. Let's go. God will give the victory. And that was an exciting day. And everybody's praising God. Hallelujah for this victory of faith. 
Well, in 1 Samuel 26, there's no crowds cheering, okay? There's no women saying, wow, David has been faithful to God. Nobody is quiet. It's still fearful. He's still got the dirty clothes. He's still maybe not have enough food to eat. But he said, I'm going to trust God, whether it's dealing with Goliath, or I'm going to trust God, even if it's refusing to take vengeance on Saul. What a high moment of character. Amen? What a high moment of character. So what happens is, is they take the spear, and they take the water, and David uses that to, as an occasion when he wakes Saul up to say, look, I could have killed you, okay? Leave me alone. I, I'm no threat to you. May God judge so then Saul does his crocodile tear thing. He says, oh, David, you're, you're a better man than I. I know that you're going to be on the throne one day. And so Saul, praise the Lord, he leaves. David stays there. And guess what? Just like last night, God has granted yet another deliverance to David. Amen. God, yet another deliverance. A high moment of David's faithfulness. A high moment of his character, of his trust in God. That ends chapter 26. Now read 27 verse 1. This is, this, is, this is right after God has just given this deliverance. 1 Samuel 27, 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose, he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his man, every man with his household. And it says later that David stayed there for a year and four months. Our good friend John Gill says this about 1 Samuel 27.1. This was a strange fit of unbelief. <laughs> a strange fit of unbelief that he was sunk into and very unreasonable it was. Had he but, but considered his being anointed king, the promise of God to him which could not fail, and the providence of God that watched over him. David had just passed one of the greatest tests of faithfulness in his life. And this was for the second time that he had refused to take vengeance upon Saul. The most faithful saints who have passed the most tests of faithfulness in their lives, are still vulnerable to foolish thinking, are still vulnerable to falling. What a warning to us. Right after David has just passed one of his greatest tests, he now fails in this test. He's filled with fearful thoughts. You know, I don't know how it is. I can have compassion on David. Maybe he wakes up the next morning and it's a cloudy day. He didn't sleep well. And he's just filled with gloomy thoughts. And he's no doubt mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted. And these, these awful thoughts come to his mind. He says, you know what? One day maybe I won't make it. One day maybe I won't escape. One day maybe we won't be one step ahead of them. And they will find out our hiding place. And he'll have some spies and, 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 they'll, and they'll get me and I'll be done. So there's, there's nothing better for me to do right now. I mean, I can't take this anymore. So I, I'm going to, I have a great plan. We'll go over to the Philistines and we'll, we'll, we'll go to the pagans. We'll go to the unbelievers and there we'll find refuge. There we'll find security. I can sleep well at night. My wife and children will be fed. My men won't be complaining. And, and life will, will be more comfortable. And we can get by. We cannot control a rush of fearful thoughts that comes to us, can we? You know, if we could, we'd push a button and we'd never get afraid again. We, we, we'd push a button, we wouldn't have any more anxiety. We can't control the rush of 
of, of sinful, fearful, um, uh, uh, anxious thoughts that comes into our minds, can we? But we're responsible for how we respond to those thoughts. We're responsible for how we respond. Here's what it says. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day. In other words, he was talking to himself. That can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. That can be a good thing when we respond, if you will, go to to Psalm 62, as David here handled it the right way. But listen, listen. If you ever talk to yourself and you tell yourself, this is a simple statement, talk to yourself and tell yourself the wrong thing, don't listen to yourself. (laughs) In Psalm 62, David, he talks to himself and he says, my soul. It's like, hey, soul. Hey, hey, self. Let me tell you some truth. Let me, let me tell you something to believe. Psalm 62, verse 5. And this is, I won't read it all, but the context is a context of danger. Don't know for sure which of David's dangers, but one of his contexts of danger and pressure and fear. And so he says in verse 5, he says, My soul, my soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David had to talk to himself on this occasion and said, Hey, soul, don't listen to unbelieving thoughts. Hey, soul, don't let sinful fear control your actions and your decisions. Hey, soul, I'm going to tell you something, the truth. And maybe soul says, I still don't believe it. So you just tell soul the same truth again and again and again. You know how we combat um, sinful thoughts? We combat sinful thoughts with the word of God and telling ourselves the truth again and again and again. Now, you parents, you may have a two-year-old, and you may say, Johnny, go clean your room. And Johnny doesn't hear you. And Johnny's playing with his toys. Say, hey, Johnny, go clean your room. And Johnny is in la-la land. And you have to tell Johnny, you have to get his face right next to you and say, hey, Johnny, go clean your room. I think that's how it is with the Lord and us sometimes. We can, we can read a promise of Scripture in a moment of unbelief or of fear or of worry. We can read it, and it just goes over our heads. And it's just blank stare. You know what you do then? You keep reading. You read it again. And it might be, eh, still dull, still dull. You know what you do? You keep reading it again as if God is saying, hey, Timothy, hey, 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 Timothy, wait upon the Lord. You can fill in your name in the blank. Hey, hope in the Lord. Brother Charles read yesterday Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, soul? He's talking to himself again. Why are you disquieting within me? Here's what you need to do. Hope in God. Hope in Him. Look to His mercy. Notice His faithfulness. Remind yourself of His promises again and again and again. Listen, we, we have to realize this, that even the most, listen, the most faithful of saints, we admire David greatly. But this man made a foolish decision because he was filled with irrational fears. And you know what? This is the second time he did this. And it didn't work the first time. Anybody identify? Earlier on, in his running away from Saul, he does the same thing. He goes to the Philistines, and you remember that one? He's in trouble, and he has to act like he's a crazy man and start spitting on his beard and riding on a gate as if he's a lunatic so that they'll send him away. But here in 1 Samuel 27, it just seems like a great idea. It seems like the escape hatch. So we can be filled 
with irrational fears. Yesterday we said that David was, was at his best when he sought the face of God. You remember that? We read several times. And David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired of the Lord. Lord, show me your way. Lord, give me wisdom. Here, what do we find? We don't find David inquiring of the Lord. So he goes over to the Philistines. Listen, if, you, if you're filled with fearful thoughts, if you're filled with sinful thoughts, filled with lying thoughts, you can't shake them. Inquire of the Lord and go find a Jonathan. Like we did, like he did, we saw last night. Inquire of the Lord and go find a Jonathan. My, my friend Jonathan, strengthen my hand in the Lord. Tell me the truth. I, I'm struggling. I, I feel like, he read Asaph yesterday, I feel like Asaph, my feet, my, uh, my footsteps are almost slipping. I'm almost gone. I need a Jonathan to strengthen my hands in the Lord. Tell me the truth again. Well, David goes down to, um, to Achish there among the Philistines. And listen, it seems like it works well for a while. He's there for a year and four months. They can sleep well at night. Um, he's not running away from Saul. Saul's leaving him alone. And things seem, seem pretty good. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we can make sinful decisions. We can make, act on foolish judgments. And things seem well. They seem well. Anybody ever heard of Jonah? Right? He's asleep on the ship. Everything's working out. It looks like it's going well. But it wasn't. But it really wasn't. You know what David had to do? David goes down to Gath because he's afraid of Saul. So he makes a foolish decision based out of sinful fear. He goes down to Gath. And you know what he has to start doing? He has to start living a lie for a year and four months. Because David, while he's there um, in that area, he goes and he starts warring against some of God's enemies that weren't uh, wiped out back uh, from some of the Canaanites that, that Joshua and Israel didn't get the job done. So David starts warring against uh, some of the enemies of God there uh, in that area. And he comes back to, to uh, Achish and Achish says, hey, where have you been? He says, well, I've been down in Judah, down in Israel, and I've been attacking those guys and, uh, and things are going well. Look at all these spoils of war that I got. And Achish thought, Wow. So he's going to be loyal to me forever because he's been attacking his own people in Israel. So I have no worries that he will be um, a rat in the camp here. So he's, he's well. So David, not, he, he, here's what he does. Why does he do that? He's afraid of, of Achish. So he's afraid of Saul. So he makes a sinful decision based upon fear. He goes down to Gath to Achish. What does he do there? Well, he's afraid that Achish won't fully trust him. So he, he, he lies about who he's, he's warring against so that Achish won't think badly of him. Now, you know, we do not believe in a prosperity gospel, okay? So we, we don't believe that if you just serve the Lord and you have faith, that everything's going to go well in your life. Because, in fact, as we just looked at in 26, sometimes faithfulness to God will bring more discomfort. However, however, do you know that obedience to God often makes things much simpler? Obedience to God saves us from a whole bunch of entanglements that weigh us down that are, as he mentioned yesterday, the detours that we never should have taken. Is anybody here perhaps living a lie? Maybe there's a sin that you're, you're afraid to confess because of the consequences. So maybe you're kind of like David. You, you, you're, you're actually, David's actually warring here against God's enemies. So in a way, he's doing a good thing, but he's not really close to God. He's not inquiring of the Lord. And so for a year and four months, he's... He, he's walking around living a double life. Maybe there's a sin you're afraid to confess because of the consequences. Maybe there's a deception that you don't want to face the light because it will threaten the sinful pleasure that you love. 
Learn from David. Listen, learn from David. Learn from David's mistake that his, his, his fear led to lying and this life of deception led to a very dangerous situation. Okay, it got even worse for David. We don't have time to read it all, but if you go to, to chapter 29, here's what happens. Well, what do the Philistines in Israel typically do every little bit in 1 Samuel? They start fighting again, don't they? They start fighting. And so it's time for the Philistines to go to war against Israel. And Achish says, I've got a pretty good warrior here, a proven warrior named David. He's got 600 fighting men. David, why don't you come to, come to war with us? Now David's really in a bind, isn't he? All right, if I don't say yes to Achish, he might kill me. You know? And if I say yes to Achish, what do I have to do? I have to go fight against the people of God. This is a mess. David's got himself into an impossible situation. In 1 Samuel 16, David had been anointed to be the next king, not of the Philistines, but the king of Israel. But because of David's operating on sinful fear, which led to lying, that didn't make things better, but really made things worse and more complicated, now he's in this impossible situation where if I don't go with the keys to battle, I'm in trouble with him. And if I go with the keys to battle, I'm going to be killing the people of God. The inheritance of Jehovah. The people that God favors. The covenant people of God. I will be going to battle against them. Is, is any of this close to anybody's neighborhood this morning? Where you found yourself compromising, lying, getting yourself into a bind, and saying, God, I'm in a mess. I'm in an impossible mess. We see this morning the, the faithfulness of David, okay, with not killing Saul. We see the unfaithfulness of David with sinful fear and lying. But you know what else we see? Hallelujah. We see the faithfulness of God. We see the faithfulness of God. I want you to know this morning that God was more faithful to David than David was to God. And God is more faithful to all those who are in Christ than we are to him. And God is a merciful God and a gracious God. And so what, what happens here in 1 Samuel 29? Well, some of the other leaders of the Philistines, they go to Achish and say, Hey, wait a second. This David guy, he's the one they said, Saul has slain his thousand, David is ten thousand. What better way for him to get back into favor with Saul than to double-cross us? He ain't going to war with us. He ain't going to war. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bails him out again. The faithfulness of God. And so David, he says, hey, go back to Ziklag. David's going back to Ziklag, where the town where they live. He's probably saying, Lord, thank you. You're so good. I feel such, like, so foolish. I was about to get myself in a terrible mess. And they get over, the, I'm just going to embellish this. They get over the hill to look down upon their city of Ziklag. And, oh, no. There's smoke coming up because their houses have been burned to the ground. All their stuff has been taken. Their wives and their children are gone. They're taken captive. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1, we'll read it. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's some mourning. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. 
And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because all the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. (laughs) Can you put yourself in David's shoes and just a wave of emotion coming on? Probably a whole truckload of guilt. God, I got us into this mess. I'm supposed to be leading these people. But I didn't trust you, Lord. You've been so good to me. I didn't trust you. And so I went, I came to the unbelievers. Lord, I, I came to where the pagans live. And then I've been living a lie for a year and four, four months th- thinking I would protect myself. And then I got myself into this mess where I was about to have to go to battle and you bailed me out there. And now, because I wasn't home, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't in Israel where I should have been. And now, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen my, my family again. I don't know if I'll live to see the, the light of another day, Lord. Because all of his men, they're mad, okay? They're, they're, they're angry, they're upset, they're mourning. And they said, let's stone David. He's the cause of this. But then a light bulb came on. Then a light bulb came on. Then grace showed up. Then the faithfulness of God manifested itself in the midst of all these heavy emotions, such a moment of crisis and guilt and anguish and fear and uncertainty. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You see, the God that was big enough for David to trust his sufficiency when he's running running away from Saul on the mountain trying to get away, the God that was sufficient enough for David to look to then, the God that was sufficient enough for David to look to when he's tempted to take matters into his own hands and kill Saul, the same God was sufficient enough in the midst of guilt, in the midst of distress, in the midst of awful circumstances and uncertainty for David to say, I encourage myself in God. What do you think David encouraged himself in God about? I think he encouraged himself in the faithfulness of God. You know why? Because God had promised David, you will be the next king of Israel. And David, I believe, laid hold of that promise. He hadn't earlier, but he did now. God, you promised. You made a covenant that I would be the next king. I'm going to trust your word in the midst of my unfaithfulness. Perhaps David thought about what he would write in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. Maybe David thought about what he said in Psalm 86.5. The Lord is good and he's ready to forgive and he's plenteous in mercy to all those who call upon him. You see, we see in the life of David a man of highs, a man of lows. What else do we see? We see the steadiness of a faithful God to sustain his people. It says that David did something good. You know what he did? He started inquiring of God again. He started talking to God again. He started seeking the presence of God again. He started humbling himself before the Lord. He said, hey, bring me the ephod. We've got to talk. Bring me the ephod. I've got to be in the presence of God. So he says, Lord, what do I do? And God says, go and you will recover everything. In verse 18, it says, or verse 17, And David, they went after the Amalekites who destroyed Ziklag and taken their families. And David smote them from the twilight even into the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. God is an expert in restoring grace. God is really good at restoration. We might look at this. Again, this evening, Lord willing, 
But listen, we have a God who's, who's marvelously holy, beyond what we can fathom. But that's not opposed to the fact that we have a God who delights in mercy. A God who delights in mercy. God would say to his people through Jeremiah, who had, who had gone off in so many bad ways, he would say, return to me and I'll return to you. So this morning, if you find yourself in any of these operating on sinful fear or living a lie or or, or just not seeking the face of God, God says, come back. Return to me. I'll return to you. If you're loaded down with guilt this morning over past mistakes and decisions and maybe even still live with some of the, the consequence of those decisions, take heart. Take heart that God's mercies are abundant even to those who live with some of the consequences of their foolish decisions. And that God's able to restore even in the midst of our foolishness. We are not always constant, are we? But God's more faithful, as we said earlier, to his people than they are to him. And why is that? Why is that? Because God deals with his people. And he looks at us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now remember, like we said last night, there's a lot riding on David. This is more than just about David. Why would God be faithful to a man who had made so many mistakes? You know why? Many reasons. God loved him. That's, that's a good one. Here's another one that relates to you and I. is because that through this man, through this man David, God, through his line, would bring about the Messiah, the one who would redeem us and save us. And God is faithful to his covenant. That which God promises, he keeps. David's unfaithfulness and faithfulness, God's always faithful mercy. Let us hope in him. May God bless you.